You know, I've got a suspicion as Matt and I work out the um, transition between who's preaching in the morning and who's preaching in the evening. Matt transitions out in chapter 5 when we get to wives and husbands, a difficult passage we come to this morning. And I thought to myself, why is this a difficult passage? The things that Paul instructs us to think about. Why is there such controversy in Ephesians 5? I suppose it's because we've seen it done so poorly. That often we see failure. And we think, I've seen it done poorly. I'm going to throw the whole thing out. That design is broken. And yet this morning, I hope that we see and remember what the whole book of Ephesians has done for us. The first three chapters laying out how beautiful the work of God the Father and the Son and the Spirit in purchasing for Himself a bride. That it was Christ's work. It wasn't our work. That it was Christ's perfection, not our perfection. That He has done the work to reconcile to Himself a people. Paul moves in those first three chapters of laying out what God has done before he ever moves in four through five and six, what it looks like to follow fast after him and to be a Christian, to follow Christ in his commands. And so Paul has been leading us towards chapter five, in which he's going to express now in three different spheres what it looks like in the world. Christian, what does it look like as you live and work in the world? Children, what does it look like as you're placed under your parents? And so he'll cover these in turn. I think it's important though to remember uh, verse 21 before we go into our verses today of 22 through 23. 21 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This verse is not describing an identical relationship, but an ordered relationship. He's going to show us that each has their role within the church, within the family, and within the workplace. And I suppose it's that word submission. That you feel it in your heart. You don't like that word. That it's a, it's a trigger word. It certainly is within our culture. And quite frankly, it is within the church. I want us to see that Paul is not antiquated in his thinking. Nor is he imposing something that God doesn't intend. We all, every single person in this room, are a people under Authority. But the authority structure doesn't end just with being under Christ and being under His Word. Paul's calling us to recognize God has a design and a structure and to see our place in it. It isn't, uh, it isn't a value issue. As if one has more value than the other. As if the bride has less value than the husband. It's rather a biblical design in which we see God expressing His love to His people. Verse 21, submitting to one another is then made clear by Paul in what follows. This is what it looks like. The message today doesn't get 
children and single people in the room off the hook because we're talking about husbands and wives. Instead, what he's showing us is what it looks like to submit ourselves under Christ's authority. The principles of Christian conduct are instructive to all of us. So let me pray before we read God's Word. If you don't have your Bible with you, you can look in the back of the order of worship or have yours open before you. Let's pray. Our gracious God, Your Word has no error. It's perfect. It's wonderful. And it is a delight to Your people, God, that You have spoken to us. We can take up in our hands and read what it is You have to say about all of life. We thank You that as we first read Ephesians, the mercy that You have shown towards Your people. But oh God, we are sinners. And so any design that You place before us, always our sin will be before us. Lord, help penetrate our hearts this morning that we might see the beauty of Your design, Father. That we might be obedient to it. That You might work in us faith and repentance where it's necessary. Help our hearts, God. Pride, whatever it might be, that we would receive this instruction with joy and be with this pastor as he himself is a broken and fallen man. Lord, by Your Spirit, do this work in our midst. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's turn to God's Word, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, His body, and is Himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot, or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is God's word for his people. Amen? This morning, uh, I want to examine, uh, as we go into this first sphere, uh, three things in reverence to uh, Christ in submission. So three points. First point, how are we the same? How are we different? Our second point is the bride in the church. And our third point, the husband in authority, yet under authority. First, how are we the same? How are we different? I think it's best to dispel first what Paul is not saying. He isn't describing here an inferiority or a value degree to the wife or the husband. 
He isn't showing us how one is more important than the other, but rather how His design is meant for us to thrive in this order. After all, every single believer is called under one head of the church, Christ Jesus. We're all fellow members and saints of the household of God. In this way, we are the same. That we are being joined together in Him. This is why Paul can say elsewhere uh, that there's no longer Jew or, or Gentile, slave nor free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He is our authority and we submit to His rule. After all, we are all made in the image of God. If you go back to Genesis, it doesn't say He made man and then He, he took her out of the side and that was something completely different. It says, so God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, God created them. One image. The image of God. You see, there is both a oneness to this and a distinction of difference. And yet, just as the two were made distinct, we are both the same. And I think uh, husbands and wives, you understand this very clearly about each other. We are both sinners in need of Christ in the same way. We're also the same in the sense that we are described as one flesh, one church. We are called together the body of Christ without distinction between male and female. We are one body growing together as we read in Ephesians 4 in which each part is working properly and makes the body grow that it builds itself up in love. In this, there is one goal, one mission that we work together mutually toward the end of loving Christ, serving Christ, and loving one another. And yet, there are ways that we are different. And Paul will move us in a moment to appreciate those differences. We were made male and female, different roles and tasks, equally important. For instance, what would Adam have been without his helpmate? God in His commission to Adam, you remember what He said to him, to, uh, to rule over the earth, to subdue it, which I think He would have had no problem doing. But it's that second part of God's command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. How could Adam do this without his helpmate? He was incomplete for the task. For this, he has a precious helpmate. The queen of the garden. The one that God created for him. The beautiful bride, a helper fit for him. And he recognized her as flesh from His flesh. So associating with her in oneness. And he held fast to her, it says, as his wife. And he did it different than any other thing in creation. He was with her and not ashamed, but there was an order to God's creation. He made man first. And it was to man that He first spoke and delivered to him the divine implications and applications of His role. He was given the instructions to the means of life and its preservation. And this 
woman that was given to him, his most cherished and valued gifts, gift was the the means by which God would keep means by which he could keep God's commission to him. You can't have it be successful without the other. But before we move to our passage proper, there is one other distinction and difference, and Paul uh, reveals this in image in the image of marriage, that there are two different things being imagined. The bride is to represent the church in submission to Christ Jesus. And the man is to represent Christ in His love and sacrifice for the church. And I know you're sitting there going, yeah, I'd love to see that at some point in my home. Right? Well, let us move then to understand each in their role. Our second point, the bride in the church. Now men, this isn't the time where you take your pen and you hand it to your wife and say, I want you to take good notes, honey. I want you to listen up. You don't elbow them and say, look up there. You need to hear this. Instead, this could be the time, husband, when you consider the things that your wife does for you on a daily basis that you could look at the children and say, uh, lean over and put your arm around and say, I'm going to help. I'm going to help so that you can hear and I can hear. I'm going to be your helpmate as we sit here in this worship service and listen to the preaching. It would be the time in which you think introspectively about the beautiful gift God has given you if He's given you a bride. In all the ways, as Paul tells us, that she displays this bride in the earth, the bride of Christ. I love that we start with the bride. I love thinking about the bride first. This gift of God, husbands pray to think this way. For verse 22 says, the wife is called to submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. I find it a bit funny that the Greek word for your own husbands means not only the uniqueness of that role, that particular man that is yours, that God has given you, but the same word, idios, comes from the Greek. It can also, uh, the same word, idiotes. Do you hear it? Which means ignoramus, idiot, rude. I wonder if that's the reason. If that's the reason that we immediately have a problem with this because we know our own husbands, right? Your own husband. We sometimes act this way. We see the failures of those who are over us in authority. Whether it's a boss at work that is selfish or a parent who is unduly authoritative and cold, or a spouse that makes decisions that best serve him, or has fits of anger or unyielding to the needs of others, or is plain lazy, or never says to your face, wife, thank you so much for the things that you do. And I think it's important to understand then why Paul adds to the wives to submit as unto the Lord. As unto Christ. 
You see, submission is made a lot harder by the presence of, of sin. And it's very easy to see the faults of the one and, uh, over uh, the family and to throw out the design, the whole uh, command out. Yet there is something beautiful and sanctifying being pictured here. What's on display for us, we're called to turn our eyes to Christ in service and submission. You wives, you feel the sacrifice of this calling, don't you? Everyone is called to sacrifice. The husband and a wife are alike in this to consider the other before themselves. The wife acknowledges the husband's God-ordained role. Which is a difficult Calling. Man, we're going to get to you in a second. It is a difficult calling. Let then, wife, the burden, uh, the, the burden that you see be, be, be driving you towards compassion. And husband, as we will see later, your consideration is the need of your bride. Paul opens chapter 5 with this sacrificial language. Be imitators of God, he says, as beloved children, that's those under authority, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a sacrifice. The sacrifice of verse 22 bears out the sacrifice Christ has given in purchasing His church, His bride for Himself. Wives, what does your husband need? He needs a helpmate who encourages him in his role, not seeking to usurp it, he needs the accountability of a bride who loves him in this overwhelming task that he will have to. He will have to give account for before the Lord. You may know his imperfections better than he does. You may see his weakness. You may see his insecurities. Wives, help him. Brides, help your husband, encourage them, forgive them when he sins against you. Verse 23, it is a fact. God has said it here. For the husband is the head of the wife. We can't get, our, uh, get around that. We can't negotiate it away. God has said it. It's laid before us. Nor should we try to diminish it. Especially when you know how wicked a sinner the other one is. And this is a design. It's more, as I said earlier, than a cultural moment in Paul's time for see how he ties it to an image that's not cultural. It's an enduring image. Verse 23, even as Christ is the head of the church, His body, and is Himself its Savior. Christ is the head of the church and we are all the bride. And yet the wife gets, and I say gets on purpose, the wife gets to express this in a unique way. She is a living, breathing, beautiful example of what it is to live under Christ. An example to the husband and to the children day in and day out. How beautiful is the wife who loves her husband as unto the Lord, as unto Christ. The wife who has Christ ruling over her commits herself to Christ's care and to Christ 
who has said this is the way he cares for her, by giving her a husband. And this is what is at stake in the image of the wife to her husband. Something deep is lost. If we cast off this directive, this command as worthless. We are all to look to a Savior and to draw each other to a, a mutual submission to Him. Wives, always, I, I pray, always show us this beautiful picture. Do it for the sake of Christ. You do so in graciously and selflessly loving us. You bear us up in a task in which we feel the great weight of what God has called us to do. All the while, seeing the failures. Knowing the ways we've hurt our wives. Knowing the ways we have hurt our children. You bear us up in the task. And we need your discernment and your help. We need your voice and your opinion. We need your wisdom and your insights. You show us Every day, how we need Christ in your compassion and in, your, in our failures. You teach us what it means to be a people under authority. Your position uniquely teaches us more about being the bride of Christ when you yield to this design. Bring to bear. Listen, God gives gifts to all believers. And He has given different gifts to each and every one of you. And husbands, this is true of your bride. She's been given different gifts in you and you would be derelict of your duty not to know your wife's gifts and to use those gifts. Bring to bear all the gifts of your helpmate in the marriage. Husbands, walk in a manner worthy of your calling Brides do likewise. Is the wife a low position? No. How could it be? Has Christ ever thought of His church as low? It is a glorious in its image as Christ refers to all of us as His bride. And the bride is always on the mind of Christ. That He hears her cries, He he hears our prayers. He has time for us. He never says, I'm too busy or I've had a long day. Maybe later. So let me finish with a warning to the husbands in verse 24. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also the wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Mem. Don't you dare for a second abuse this position. When she is called to be under you, don't make this a hardship. Everything doesn't mean all things. Matt sent me a picture earlier this week from, ironically, another church named All Saints, a buddy of ours out in Utah. and It was a picture of this monster with a John Calvin quote at the bottom. The Calvin quote at the bottom said, the man who doesn't love his wife is a monster. 
I told Matt I probably wouldn't use that language, and here I am. <laughs> Why? Authority carries great responsibility. And treating your role, husbands, as if you are some kind of superior and she is some kind of inferior is gross negligence. And it is far too often that we see the abuse of it in godless society, but it is found in the church as well. And it damages. It wrecks the image of the church and the home of Christian men. Wives, your husbands don't have the freedom to abuse you mentally or physically or spiritually. You are to refuse outright those things that contradict God's Word and would cause you to sin. We are called to have eyes towards Christ and Christ would never have His bride sin or be drawn into sin. He would never hurt His bride intentionally or abuse her in any way. So we have seen the bride in the church. Now let's turn to our last point. The husband in authority, yet under authority. Husbands, the wife got three verses. You get nine. Nine verses. Because your role of authority is so vital and consequential. Nine verses because the great weight of what you are called to. Can there be anything more humbling or more weighty than this? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Note it doesn't say you are Christ. It says, love her as Christ has. Christ has placed this precious woman, this precious soul in your care. And just as He gave Himself up for His bride, for the church, He calls you to the same degree of sacrifice. Your headship over her is to look like the way Christ cares for His church. You see, this doesn't lead then to you uh, bumping your chest or running around the house like some gorilla in the jungle. It doesn't look like a self-ingratiating rule. It isn't exaltation. It is humiliation. It should always lead, when we read this, to an introspection before it, it leads to the expression of authority. How do I love my wife? How do you express that love? What are the particular gifts your wife has? As she considers your needs, you are to be reciprocal in reflecting back what she needs. How did Christ love His bride? He was humiliated for her. He loved her so much that He forsook a throne in heaven to take a low position. What does it look like to look like Christ? To take a low position. He acted selflessly. Became acquainted with His bride's grief. Our grief. Our sorrows. And ultimately, it led to Him laying down His life for her. For that what 
which is most precious to him. Mim, would you die for your wife? Would you rather trade your life for her life? Wives, the burden of submission is matched by the burden of the husband. He is called. Men, you are called to lay down your life for your wife's sake. Don't take this lightly. It isn't merely metaphorical. We lay down our lives, yes, in being selfless. We lay down our lives when we sacrifice our wants for her needs, but loving her to the degree which Christ loves His church is to lay down your actual life for her if necessary. What greater love is this can be displayed than when someone lays down their life for another. You are called to this kind of extreme love. And brothers, if we would love in this way, I don't think there would be the controversy of the first three verses. If our wives knew that we would do anything and everything at the expense of our own uh, uh, comfort, if they knew this, I don't think we'd have the problem of the previous verses if we truly loved them the way Christ loves His bride. Pray for it. That Christ's heart and work would be in, on display in ours. That your mind would always be towards her knees. There's never a moment that He doesn't hear our pleas. Remember, Christ always has time for His bride. He hears our pleas. He hears our requests. He knows our desires. Ruth pointed out to me as I was looking through this passage the image of two ears, one mouth. God has given us two ears and one mouth. That is do twice as much listening men as you do speaking. In fact, we talked about this in James 1. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Show her the dignity that she deserves. How does Christ love His bride? Verse 26-27 through 27 says, He sanctified her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. You see, Christ rules over her as a priest. This is priestly language. He washes His bride in the Word and His goal is her splendor. Men, you're called to be priests in your home. To love your wife when you show her Christ to teach the Word, even if this means, you know, I don't know how to begin doing that. That might seem overwhelming. Even if it means just sitting down together and opening the Word and reading it, no comment, prayer. Begin to take hold of this priestly role in the home. And the more that you go together to the Word, the more you will know your own hearts and your own roles better, the more likely, uh, less likely you will, you will be to abuse power if you're drawing your power from the Word. Note how Christ presents His bride without blemish. That's us. Yet we know of all our blemishes. We know of all those blemishes and how they arise within 
the marriage in the home. Husbands, how will your bride look when she is presented before the Lord? Will she be found with bruises and scars from the way in which you treated her? Will she be glad to be free of tyranny? Or will we present her as one who is holy? A man who nourishes and cherishes his wife will know this about his role. You are the steward of the souls that God has put under your care. This role, in fact, should be a reflection of how we love our own bodies. Verse 28, in the same way you care for yourself, so you should your wife. How do you preserve your own life? You do the basics, you feed yourself, you attend to the needs. Verse 29, we're called to the same nourishment and care Christ gives to His church. Husband, what about your flaws? It's likely a day hardly passes without you failing in this role. In fact, that's what I learned early in marriage. The first couple of weeks, this mirror was held up to me all of a sudden, and I saw how selfish I was. I saw how uh, this relationship was going to expose particular things about Nathan McCall that I never really had to think about. Pride. Do these things arise in your marriage? Anger? No ears? One mouth? Dereliction of duty? How then could we lead? Go back to verse 26. Be sanctified and washed by the Word. Did the Word ever say that you would do this role perfectly, men? It never said that. It never declared that about you. The first three chapters of Ephesians said you've got a big problem you can't fix. But how does that washing happen? And why washing? Lead in this. In your home. Be the chief repenter in the house. Be the one who shows relentless forgiveness. Be gracious with her and others as Christ is gracious with you. This is life-giving. Perfection will never describe this earthly marriage. That's the perfection we find in Christ. You are more a leader when you lead in this way rather than pretending you are Christ. When you take your spouse, your children, when you take yourself to Christ Jesus. You see, as your bride is to submit herself unto the Lord in her submission to you, so you show that you are not an authority unto yourself, but have an eye towards Christ as your head also. And there is a oneness and this kind of care towards your bride. You have left your father and your mother and you hold fast to her. One flesh. And Christ says the mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Just a couple applications before we close. Know this for certain. Since the moment of the fall, 
Satan has showed himself to hate the designs and the order of God. His intentions of of the way things were to be. And he hates, he absolutely hates healthy marriages. And he will look for any foothold that he can have in your home. He will plant uh, seeds that would grow into these deep weeds of bitterness so that you could hardly stand to be around the one whom you at one time professed undying love for. And He will do all in His power to see this wrecked. To throw shade on Christ and His bride. Be on your guard and let your hearts be quick to repent, to turn to each other. Let faith and repentance be as much a part of your marriage as those needs that daily arise in the home and care for your own flesh. If cancer wrecks the flesh and destroys and kills, it destroys the body. What is cancer in marriage? You are one flesh. What sin can be rooted out? What can you say to your wife in repentance, and wife, what can you say to your husband in repentance? It's this means by which we come back together in which all things are being made new. We saw at the end of last week, Paul said, be filled with the Spirit. May it be so in our marriages. Let's pray.